You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. You're listening to the E2C Network. Podcast by Auburn fans for Auburn fans. War Eagle Auburn fans, welcome to No Huddle, your source for Auburn football news and discussion, part of the E2C Network. I'm AJ Richardson, and I'm also here with Jared Davis. Jared, have you cried yet? Because I feel like sometimes <laughs> I just need a good cry. The good news is I have been crying in 2020 since March, so I did, <laughs> it didn't really change at all, so yesterday was just another day. <laughs> yeah, it was just another day to cry a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much pretty much yeah. war eagle good to be here yeah we're we are happy to be here and uh this is another one of those just blows that auburn took uh, in losing to texas a&m this last week and uh man just i i just keep coming back to the defense and how if we had just stopped the run even slightly this would have been a closer game and maybe auburn would have won it um but I mean, uh, this is this is kind of this year. Our defense just isn't what we we've kind of expected it to be. Um, Jared, what did you kind of make of this uh, this game and um, how it resulted in us uh, at at times just not looking uh, very competent? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of frustrating because you know you look at Alabama and they were explosive plays, and you're like, all right, they just have better players. You look at the A&M, and it was just very methodical kind of moving the ball down the field, and it's just it was just very frustrating. Um, and, you know, our defense this year can't save us. I mean, our defense has saved us for several years, and, uh, you know, some of that is on probably coaching, recruiting, but some of it's also COVID. You lose a, you lose a linebacker, there's some depth, then you, you're starting stud linebacker, quarterback of the defense, you know, uh, breaks his uh, thumb yeah so I mean that's huge you know um, and you're already having to replace Marlon Davidson and Derek Brown from the year before so you know you lost your three best players on defense um, with, with that case so I you know you can kind of explain away the defense um, the offensive struggles really probably still fall on the offensive line but definitely would have liked to have seen more production out of them this late in the season um with the talent that we have at the skill position. Yeah, you're you're th- I mean, I'm thinking about Bo Nix, you know, five-star recruit coming in, awesome quarterback in high school. Um and then you've got on top of that Seth Williams and you got Anthony Schwartz who probably more than likely are going to be NFL wide receivers for a good bit of time once they go to the NFL. And the playmakers are are there at least at the wide receiver core. It's just a matter of, I mean, it definitely hurt us when Tank got hurt. I mean, you saw the drop-off almost immediately in our run production. But the other guys, we, we just haven't stepped up enough um, in the run game. And to keep that balance, I mean, we've talked about it before, is to keep uh, Bo in games, I feel like you have to run him a good bit, but also provide a good run support for him. 
So it's if you don't have those two pieces and we rely solely on the pass game, it sometimes just sets it up, itself up for a, a recipe for disaster. And we just can't get consistent drives that result in touchdowns. Um, and I think a lot of that com- also comes down to not scoring a red zone. Um, and when we're in the red zone, you should be scoring touchdowns, especially against teams that you know will score. I mean, Texas A&M has an explosive offense. Um, and I think they were in the top two, maybe three coming into this game offenses um, in the SEC. So you knew they were going to put up some yards um, and probably points behind that. Um, and surprisingly, I mean, <laughs> man, Texas A&M put up a lot of yards and to only have 31 points on the scoreboard by the end of the game still kind of amazes me which maybe that's a credit to the defense um not allowing that many points based on how many yards Texas A&M got um just I don't know I was I was kind of baffled by that how quickly Texas A&M got the ball moving down the field and yet they still didn't like it it honestly felt like at some point the game was going to be like 42 to 17 by the end of the game just because Texas A&M was moving the ball um, and somehow Auburn, even at halftime, I was thinking, wow, what the heck? Uh, this is a much closer game than I thought it would be. It, uh, we were down still, but it was 10 to 14 and they could have easily been at that point, like 21 to seven or something like that. So I'll take what I'm given for sure, but th- there's definitely some struggle on defense that I-, I think is very much greatly missed. And even I wanted to point this out. I noticed in Big Cat Bryant's uh, post-game presser, uh, he was asked about just a question, and he actually brought up uh, missing Marlon Davidson and Derek Brown beside him and just knowing that you you controlled the line of scrimmage. And this just kind of points to how big of an influence those two guys were on defense. And to not have them this year um, has been a big gaping hole um, that – I mean, if you look at other teams and what they've, do, what they've done to Auburn on, in the run game, we have struggled and struggled immensely. So this is a struggle game, and, uh, yeah, man, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was a rough one just to watch for the most part. Um, but, man. Um, Jared, I did want to talk about a couple like uh, of the key plays that um, happened in this game. Um one of them being uh, Bo Nix overthrowing um, Eli Stove, which would have been a touchdown. Um, and then the second one was Zacoby McClain probably would have intercepted it and might have returned it for a little bit, maybe even a pick six um, if he gets a good running lane. And the game's in a different spot. Um, obviously, those two plays are big, and we like to think about those big plays. Um but do you think that determined the end of the game based on the, the just the way the ball fell um, for both of those? Yeah, I mean, I think the one, I think the pass to Stove, maybe not as much um, because it was, you know, you just don't know how games are going to unfold. That was so early. You got to make that pass. I mean, the thing that scares me the most about Bo, Bo is immensely talented, um, but he threw that off his back foot and he didn't really have to. And I don't know if that's, can they not fix that? You would think when you have uh, head coaches and a five-star athlete working on that, you would assume pretty mm-hmm. consistently. Um, you know, first few games you could see it with COVID and not having practice. But, you know, now that we're this far in, 
I don't know if that's fixable at this point. And that scares me a little bit, if I'm being honest, because uh, you step into that throw and just take a little off. It's it's wide open. Like on those, just don't overthrow it. Yep. Um, and, you know, so that it would have helped. I don't know if that – yeah, I don't think that might have been the deciding factor. The Zacoby play was probably a deciding factor a little later on and keeping them from scoring. That was a – it's like a – it's essentially well not a 14 point swing but not only do you not pick it they catch it for a touchdown mm-hmm. um and we shouldn't have to come down to that and maybe eli catches it we don't i don't know but we shouldn't have to come down to that but that's the plays auburn has made in jordan Hare since gus has been there to you know people talk about auburn jesus and the magic we have there that's the plays we've made um and we didn't make them and you know uh that's the difference between winning and losing uh, yeah. We made those plays last year in the Iron Bowl, like those pick sixes, those two pick sixes. So we didn't dominate on offense in the Iron Bowl last year. We just were very opportunistic. I don't feel like we've been that this year. Yeah, no, that's a good point of uh, taking grasp of those opportunities when they present itself because they 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 were there. Um, if you intercepted right there, Auburn's still up twenty to fourteen, and if Jacoby makes that um, interception at the beginning of the fourth quarter. This is a way different conversation of heading, you know, fourth quarter because te- uh, Texas A&M wouldn't have scored, um, and they wouldn't have also put up another on top of that thirteen points in that um, in the fourth quarter, and there's just some weird stuff. Like it's just you got some. Uh, obviously, we don't want to like pin it on those two plays, but it definitely is a a point that we want to talk about. Is well, and I want to, you got to capitalize off those. You do, and I want to be clear. Um, hitting a wide open receiver from a at, talented quarterback should happen. Mm-hmm. Intercepting a ball over the middle, being a linebacker, is not something that should happen. Um, now he should have made that catch, if you know what I'm trying to say. It's not an automatic. It's not a yeah, true. It's not a seventy percent or more. Uh, um, Bo should hit that guy eighty percent of the time or more. Yep, and, and so. I'm not trying to put more on Zacoby. I'm not trying to knock him or anything. But when you go back and watch the replay, it wasn't like just tipping off his fingers. I mean, it went through his both hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I have never been in, and I've, I was not talented enough to ever be in that situation. I guarantee you it's way harder than it looks on TV. Yeah. <laughs> but when you see it go through both hands, you're like, oh, it just makes you pull your hair out because it was that close. Yeah. My my little experience of that in high school, I was a cornerback in high school and only played a couple of years, but the opportunities I got, I probably made half of them because it, it, it's, you, I don't know, you have the mentality of you just want to help your team out the best way you can. And I'm sure Jacoby had that in mind too, but he's trying to intercept it, you know, which, I mean, he should, he's taught to do that cornerbacks are taught and safeties are taught go after the ball um attack the ball it's just as much yours as the wide receivers um but sometimes it just doesn't go your way because you get big eyes and you think oh man pick six is right in my hands and you made a great point i wonder because the way the play was shifted outside he might have had a pick six and i wonder for a split second did he take his eye was he looking downfield um again I'm not going to – look, Zacoby's been a gamer. I mean, you know, he's undersized, but he hasn't played that way in the SEC. Definitely. You know, that was the, – the the game didn't fall on him. But 
Um, having said that, if he does make that play, um, I do think it is probably a different outcome. But there's many other plays that, you know how it is, it always, there's many, many plays that didn't get made in a game. Yeah. Well, and then there was other plays that, I mean, you and I have talked about uh, offline about the just non-calls that happened a lot this game. Um, the SEC officiating in, in particular just didn't seem to want to call any holds. Now, to their credit, it was on both sides, but there were plenty of times where it was very blatantly obvious um, where our guy was going after Kellen Mond and literally got thrown down. I mean, that's a blatant hold. Um, sure, I get, like, if you're, uh, you know, wrestling back and forth and it's kind of like an even battle, okay, whatever. But when a guy gets thrown down, that's an automatic. The ref should throw the flag. It's a penalty. Holding, push them back 10 yards. And those kinds of plays just consistently were not called um, this game. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, <clears throat> it, it's, you know, football is, if you're watching it, you're like, well, football, you're supposed to tackle the guy, right? Isn't that football? And, and then you explain <laughs> it to somebody and you say, yeah, if you're on, if you're the offense, like their offensive lineman tackled our D lineman who was, who had Kellerman dead to rights. Yeah. He and probably would have sacked him, maybe strip sacked him. It was a blind side. You never know what happens with a fumble there. And the, the telltale sign the offensive lineman called holding on himself. He threw his hands up. <laughs> like, he's looking at the ref saying, oh, man, I just held. Yeah. And the ref's like, no, nah, we good. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like the same thing that happens on, for DBs, too. They're just like, hands up. I didn't do anything. As soon as you do that, you have a guilty conscience that you did something wrong. Should be called a, a, a penalty right there. And yet, in this scenario, I mean, it's right in front of the ref. And the ref uh, you, just ignored it. I, listen, it, I think you know. You and I talked off off the podcast. The holding goes on every play, and if you've got them inside on the pads, and you know you're fighting back and forth, and there's, that goes on every time. I get yep. that, but there's been some really bad non holds against Auburn the past two years. I mean, LSU essentially that was their game plan last year was mm-hmm. to tackle our offensive linemen, and I don't understand how those calls get missed and why the coaches put up with it. I mean, like they need to be. I mean, the one, you know, like Lane Kiffin or not, um, the one thing is he's calling stuff out, you know? And yeah, one he's, of them was he's against saying us. To the, well, he's saying but, to the ref, like, hey, that was a bad call. You missed it. What and, he's saying and, to the SEC office, too, like, hey, <laughs> yeah. find me if you want to. You made a bad call. And yeah. I'm an Auburn guy, but they should have reviewed that play against the Ole Miss game, and I'll agree with him on that. You know, so I, I, there needs to be more of that because these refs do not appear to be held accountable. And – you know, they just keep going back out there every week, making bad calls, and doesn't doesn't appear anything happens. No, it really doesn't. And okay, and I also want to you know put a little asterisk by this. I really don't think the SEC officiating made us lose this game. There are plenty of other things that made us lose this game, mostly falling on I'd probably say defense, and then probably right after that, uh, I don't know. I'd say scoring in the red zone, and then along with just Bo Nix's happy feet every once in a while. So, but if you put all those, if those, uh, but like the SEC officiating was kind of like the little cherry on top. You're just like they were the third. So th- <sighs> yeah, three. All right, we're not good enough to overcome really one miss mistake, but these were three. All right, so they, you know, the Eli Stove, the mm-hmm. Kobe McLean, and the play where, um, you know, we got tackled. And yep. regardless of if that causes the game or not, it's just infuriating that they don't call 
what are they looking at? Like, are they looking downfield? I mean, it was right in front of the quarterback. I'm right. sure every ref was looking at that play. So it's just infuriating. And people are mad. You know, that was the throw where they wanted them to review the catch. I personally think the guy caught the ball, or mm-hmm. there wasn't enough to overturn that. So I'm not upset about that. I'm just, mine should have never got the pass off. That too. Absolutely. Um, so I, I understand college, college football in particular is a game, bang, bang kind of plays. But when, I don't know, I, I just gripe over issues of, of refs not calling very obvious things that should be called. All right, end rant. <laughs> Let's talk about how we feel about the refs, AJ. <laughs> <laughs> All right, get me fired up again, Jared. I don't have anything, I have nothing to say. I got no, I, that was a good game. I got nothing to say. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Auburn fans, I want to take a quick timeout from this episode to bring your attention to something very special. Here at the E2C Network, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best content for Auburn fans out there. And best of all, it's free to you. But just because it's free doesn't mean there aren't costs, especially when you have a library of hundreds of podcasts, videos, blogs, and more. Many of you have reached out and asked how you can support this network in the past. Well, now I have your answer. It's called the E2C Network Booster Club over at patreon.com slash E2C Network. There you'll find a membership monthly reward system where you can sign up for as little as $1 and get different perks at different tiers. Some of those perks include things such as apparel, eligibility to join us on future podcasts, recognition as an E2C network booster, exclusive communications, and bonus content that is available nowhere else. If you love this network and want to help us keep producing podcasts like this one, please head on over to patreon.com slash E2C network to join the E2C network booster club. You can also get there by going to our website, E2Cnetwork.com slash support. Whether you decide to join or not, we are still so appreciative that you would support us by just listening and being here because each and every one of you is part of our E2C network family. Well, that's it. Timeout's over. Let's get back into the episode. All right. Let's talk about, um, one of the kind of interesting things that came out of this uh, post-game press conference, and I, I just kind of want to bring this up, was, I mean, this made its rounds on Twitter, was a quote from Gus Malzahn about um, finishing, you know, now best is going to be 6-4 and four in the SEC. I mean, with an all-conference kind of schedule, I understand that's tough. But the wording that Gus kind of chose, and this is where if I was Gus, uh, I would get a different PR manager and my PR manager would tell me, don't say that, because this just infuriated pretty much not just the Gus haters, but even some of the Gus lovers. Um, and he's pretty much said a 6-4 and four season in a regular year uh, for the SEC would be a quote-unquote solid year. And I was thinking, why Why a solid year? Like I'd say that's an okay year. I don't think it's a solid year. Like a solid year for me is losing two games in the SEC, finishing ten and two, and you maybe have a good shot at a, a, a really good bowl game, probably a New Year's six bowl game, but six and four really is getting you like an eight and four kind of season if you're probably playing that right. Eight and four, maybe nine and three at best, and I mean that's that's not what we should be shooting for. It's honestly. I think we should be shooting a little bit higher for that than that. And it just maybe concerns me that that might be the mindset of Gus, that that's an okay uh, 
goal to go after. But when you come into uh, Auburn, which he did in 2013, knowing that your biggest rival is Alabama, who is very dominant with under Nick Saban, you got to up your game to have the standards, maybe that you have personally, up them even more to get close to uh, what your rival is doing. Um, and I know Gus understands the, the rivalry is a very important thing, but you, you got to... You got to up your standards uh, more than six and four at being the best. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. You know, I, I, I really think Gus Malzahn and Mark Rick are, are two very similar guys in the sense they are super good guys um, and, and really smart football coaches. And I just don't know that football is their life. And I know Gus is very competitive and Gus wants to win, but I think Gus also understands family and all this stuff too. And that's a, that's actually how it should be. Um, and I think it comes out sometimes. I think in this comment, I think it's, hey, six and four, that'd be a normal solid year. I think after people give him credit because they wound up being right, but I really just think he meant it after we lost in 2017 to LSU for our second loss. He's like, that's not the end of the world. I mean, I, <laughs> he wound up being right because we went on and, and had a really good run, but mm-hmm. you can see sometimes the way it comes out. I'm not faulting the guy. Um, it probably makes him a better human being, but I do feel like, um, there are attributes to where if you want to be elite, you have to eat, sleep, and breathe this stuff. And um, we want that as fans. We don't really want to hear about what it takes to be there because these guys, um, you really don't want them probably having to go through that type of lifestyle. But that's what it takes now. The competition is that tough. So um, I, I think Gus is a great guy. I think Gus is a great coach. Um, but I think Gus probably really does mean that in the sense that, Hey, if we win eight or nine games, that's a, that's a solid year. And to be honest with you, I think nine wins is a solid. I thought last year was a solid year. I thought nine and three was solid. Um, especially the true freshman quarterback. I thought that was solid. I can live with nine. Mm -hmm. I could even live with eight basically being your floor maybe. Um, yeah. Well, especially if you've like, you've got a season like this where, you're playing Alabama and Georgia who are top level, top 10 teams, top five teams. And they're, they're, you're playing away. I get that. That's, you know, more than likely two losses in most scenarios, but there, there's other things like we're probably going to gripe on this for the, until the, the end of eternity is the South Carolina game. That should have never been lost. Shouldn't have happened, man. He shouldn't have lost to South Carolina. He shouldn't have lost to Tennessee in 2018. However, if you want to flip that coin, if you want to play both sides of it, Gus does not usually lose those games. I mean, Gus usually beats the teams he's supposed to beat. His problem is getting over the hump lately offensively against the teams that are questionable about beating. Um, and that's it, man. If he yeah. can somehow, if and I don't, we don't know what the future holds, but if he's still Auburn's coach next year, if he can figure out how to put up points, I don't even – I can't believe I'm saying this. I don't even care if I lose to Georgia and Alabama. Just be competitive and put up points. Don't feel like when you start the game out with a false start and then a hold, you immediately think this game's done. Mm. I mean, that's the mentality we have. Was it not you last week in the Alabama game when the re- return got called holding? We're starting in our own 10, and you're like, inside the 10, you're like, well, we're done. <laughs> I well, automatically thought yeah. that. I mean, and. I, I definitely should not be the case. I mean, yeah, it's putting you behind the sticks and it puts you in an odd situation to start out. But if you get into that mindset of, uh, I don't know, more 
a passive, not passive. That's not about uh, uh, like a not non aggressive type mentality of we're gonna fight. Now I think this. Okay, like take take a step back. I think this team fights. I'll give them that. But it's the the way they fight. I think sometimes is not optimized by um, I don't know by the things that are done. Like I'll give you a really good example. Fourth and one. Sure. Hey, we're on our side of the, of the field. We should have gone for it. We should have. Yep. Like little situations like that, that I think if you just switch and, and put a little, uh, I mean, riverboat gambler, Tommy Tuberville in there, he's going to run something. I mean, for goodness sakes, if we throw in JJ Begeese or you say even 80% tank Bigsby, Tank Bigby's falling forward. He's getting that first down. So little mentality changes like that, I think would help this team a lot. And sometimes it's play calling. Sometimes it's not. But if you have that mentality coming in, we're just going to, we're going to punch and, you know, throw for throw against a really good team. We can do like, we can keep up with them. And I feel like we kind of got off that. We did, and this will be the last. This is not a bash Gus um, thing, uh, but there's, and I may have said this before. There's a great line from the the movie The American President, and and uh, the president was asking about you know where where it went wrong, and the guy said, "Well, you you got so concerned with keeping your job, you forgot to do your job," and I think Gus hit that somewhere in 2015. He got so conservative about not. He didn't want to make mistakes because he wanted. He, you know, he knew that his job's on the line, unfortunately, and and that's the SEC. And mm-hmm. so he got so concerned with keeping his job. 2013 and 2014, Gus, he would have had 14 people in motion on that fourth and one <laughs> and gone for it. I mean, yeah. he would have. Yeah. That was the Gus we hired. Yep. And that and and now we're punting in a game that really doesn't matter much, um, except maybe for recruiting. It's frustrating. And, again, I'm not trying to bash him. I'm just saying it is a difference, and I do think he got concerned keeping his job versus doing it. And I understand why he would. Um, he's had, he, you know, the support's been wishy-washy. Yeah. And I mean, to some, like, I, I do agree with you I, to some level that I, he definitely got to the point where he wanted to keep his job and not lose it. But that's not the way you coach, especially in the SEC, especially now where teams like Alabama put up like 40 something points in the first half Yep. last or this, this last week. So you're thinking, if you you know, and Gus has said it, he knows touchdowns are gonna win games, not field goals. Um, so why are you why are you trying to play a little conservative here when you should be playing a bit more aggressive? So Gus Gus created this monster, like he brought this. I mean, it used to be defense, defense, defense. Gus comes in, Saban can't beat it. Saban has to join it. People can't beat Saban. They got to join it. Bring in LSU and Joe Burrow. Mm-hmm. I mean, he created this whole more or less point yeah for scoring. sure. There were people in the NFL copying him. He was getting mentioned on Monday Night Football. That's a Gus Malzahn play. Yeah, um, Gus is a smart guy. He's a good football coach. Um, yeah, so that, that's all I got to say. Yeah. All right, Jared. Let's talk about um, a couple other things that happened in the game. Uh, I there. I mean, as much as we're, we're griping, there were some very good positives, and a couple of those positives actually came on offense. Um, one of those being just Bo having two t- rushing touchdowns that hadn't happened. I think it was this first time it's happened um, in in college for him. 
Um, and one of those was, I, I'm calling it the Bodini, like Houdini. Um, <laughs> I like that. I hadn't heard that. So I, I call it the Bodini because there were so many screenshots of people that you you take it at that spot where it looked like, oh, he's wrapped up. I mean, like, I, I tweeted it out from the ETC account. It's literally the equivalent of a football straight jacket on the quarterback. He's going down. <laughs> But yet somehow Bo gets out of it and then turns it into a touchdown. I mean, ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculous. You, you see the pictures on Twitter where it showed him in the grasp of the lineman and then below it says Bo scored on this play. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. I mean, I mean even he, he was training on ES, like ESPN at the top said something about Bo. And I mean, people were a, a, Andy Staple. All these reporters were uh, tweeting about that crazy play. Yeah, there was even one ESPN Twitter account, which I think I retweeted from the ETC account, that said, uh, <laughs> you won't believe this, but this play turned into a touchdown. On And then it like tagged 30 for 30. <laughs> and I was like, uh-huh. no way. <laughs> it was fantastic. That's, yeah. <laughs> so good. You, but Bo's a gamer, man. You can't ever – I know we get frustrated from time to time, but the guy gives it his all. That's You can't. And most of the time, the whole team does under Gus. But yeah, Bo, Bo gave Bo gave it his all yesterday. Yeah, definitely. I mean, despite his uh, incompletion that we are going to gripe on a little bit more about missing Eli Stowe, I think he had a decent game. Now, was it a great game? No, it was decent, like an average, average kind of play. Um, he did. I, I think it was even after he had the happy feet, he actually set his feet and threw a great pass to Seth Williams. Um, so he did correct it mid game. Um, but you, I mean, for goodness sakes, this is, is what, let's see how many games, nine plus 13. So 22 games of college football. And he's still having issues with setting his feet. Um, so definitely something for Bo to work on there. Um, let's also talk about Auburn's running game. I know we didn't have tank a hundred percent, but tank, actually played pretty well. I mean, he had that breakout run too. Um, Bo and Tank and Shivers all had a good amount of uh, rushing attacks. Uh, Tank led led our team 76 yards uh, and averaged about eight 8.4 yards per carry. I mean, goodness. I mean, I know one of those was 42 yards, but still, when you're averaging that much, you're doing something right. Um, even Shivers, he had a average of 7.6 yards per rush and he rushed nine times as well so we we were able to move the ball a little bit on the ground um and and this is actually against texas a&m who coming into this game was the second best rushing defense second best in the sec um and averaging they were averaging uh holding teams to about 87 yards per game auburn rushed 166 so pretty much double what their average was so we got production on the ground against Texas A&M, and it's just a bummer, especially in that fourth quarter, when we just couldn't get the run game going again. And Texas A&M stopped that, which I think ultimately uh, iced the game for us. Because if we're not running the ball, it, it's just it's a tough situation. Um, so a little bit of a bummer there. Um, but we did actually get to see a little bit of Mark Anthony Richards for a few plays. I wish we had seen a little bit more of him. Um, he came in, I think, after Shivers like twisted his ankle a little bit, but then Shivers ended up coming back. Um, so what did you think of our run game and kind of how we 
were able to get 166 yards, which is, like I said, twice as much as what Texas A&M was um, doing uh, in previous games. Yeah, I mean, I think the run, I mean, really the offensive line, as bad as we bashed them, they've been a pretty good run blocking team all year. Uh, they struggled against Alabama. Um, but, I mean, they did, yeah, I mean, they did well enough. I, I feel like some of the play calling, you know, was a little weird sometimes. I feel like we should have stuck with that a little more. I think you and I have talked about kind of all year about, you know, not let's get more focusing around the offense around that and let Bo kind of manage the game versus, you know, trying to make it be Bo's to mm-hmm. go win. Um, and, and you know, we were still close enough in the fourth, and I still feel like we just – I don't know. I feel like we try to run it on first down if, it get, if, it, if it's not a huge game. We're automatically passing the next two downs. I could be wrong about that. But to me – I, th- I think with the especially with tanking there, you may go back to it again. Like even if it's second and nine, because um, our run blocking is our best blocking, and potentially our best player on the team is our running back when he's in the game. So yeah, you, you just don't want to take the ball out of his hands, even if you only get one yard on first down. I know that's tough as a play caller, but um, yeah, I think we might have abandoned it a little, a little more than we should have at certain times. Yeah, I think so too, and I. I, I mean, I know Tank's not 100%, but when he's he's going, I wish we had played him more. Because I think even at one point during the fourth quarter, they panned over to him on the sideline. He has helmet off. I was like, did we already say he's done for the game? Like, you've you've reach, reached your uh, you know, baseball equivalent of a pitch count. So, how many times you can carry the ball in the game? And they were like, all right, nine. That's all you got. Sorry, you're done. But if you put in Tank Bigsby, you better believe – Tank makes something happen because he's made it happen every other game that he's in there. Um, so, from what I've seen from Tank, this is something crazy to say, but I almost believe it. Outside of Bo Jackson, if he stays healthy and stays, you know, doesn't leave early, I mean, he he may he could go down, he could go down real high, man. I yeah. mean, he is he is some kind of special talent. Yeah, I mean, we talk, we talk about a lot of Bo. Jackson and the that level of running back and how Bo's able to bounce things out and just hit that top speed um and hit it quick and and Tanks Tanks got that ability. I know he's he's still young. There's plenty more to prove. I'm not saying he is Bo Jackson by any means. No, no, no. And, and but he's getting yeah. he he has the potential, I think, to get close to, you know, the Cadillac Williams level that we talk about. Just got to keep him healthy. Yep. Um, another kind of interesting thing, we don't have to talk about this too much, but I just thought it was interesting. Seth Williams, they they shut him down. He only got three completions um, for 51 yards. And, I mean, I'm sure that was their strategy. Um, even Bo said uh, that there was a lot of times where they were trying to go deep, um, probably to Seth Williams or Anthony Schwartz. And, those passes were just not there. So he had to take either the dump off route or Bo would, Bo would run it. So, I mean, credit to Texas A&M for shutting down Seth Williams um, because that that definitely hurt our uh, pass game this game. If we're not able to get Seth Williams going, get him going early, it's, it's a struggle. It definitely is a struggle. Um, we did actually pass it to Brandon Frazier, our tight end, um, but it was an incompletion. I think it was just kind of like a, I don't know. It looked like it's weird pass to him. I mean, the odds of him catching were pretty slim, but hey, we did pass it to, to Brandon Frazier. So 
Good to see. It looked like there. the pass. I, I put it on Bo at first. I'm wondering if it's on Brandon. It looked like the pass to Sal Canelo last year at the Alabama game where it was on the sideline and only mm-hmm. if he did it. Frazier was not near the sideline. So I wonder if it was Frazier turned that in and it may should have gone out. Got it. Um, yeah. But I don't know. It, it was not a good – it doesn't look like a good pass, but the more I think about it, that it was a very similar play design to the and Sal it, Canelo. It could honestly have been. I mean, Brandon Frazier is a tall guy like Sal – and you get the you know tiptoe catch in the end zone, that kind of thing, um, and maybe a different story. Um, let's talk about our special teams real quick, um, and then we'll round out this conversation. So um, I think definitely our special teams was the bright point of this game. Um, Otters Carlson, we've we talked about it. I think during our uh, three bye weeks um, that Otters. He, I think his goal was to get more touchbacks to kind of build back his legs so that he, he's not as tired. And, hey, he definitely achieved that goal today or on Saturday. And uh, that that was a big thing for him because Texas A&M had zero kickoff returns. Um, and when that happens, you, you know that they got to just at least just start out the 25. There's no opportunities for them to make any big uh, kickoff returns. Um, another good bright point of our special teams was Anders. Um, he hit both of his field goals um, from 37 and 24 yards. Um, he also uh, made his extra points as well. So a good day for him. And uh, on kickoff returns, we actually had Eli Stove um, had a really good kickoff return. And this may be another one of those what if plays, but Eli Stove got out to the 32 and the only person probably left was the kicker and the kicker ended up tackling him. If he had gotten past there, I, I believe he, he probably would have taken it to the house. Yeah, he was gone. The seam was there. The kicker made, there's a reason the kicker had to make the tackle. <laughs> yep. Everybody else was either blocked by a man or, you know, not, in, not in the right zone. Yeah. It was a, uh, he was about to house that one. Yeah, Definitely. Um, we also had pretty decent job, uh, kicking the ball or punting the ball. Um, and, uh, Oscar Chapman had three punts, uh, for an average of 43, which the last few games, I think he's been averaging around 40 yards. So up in his average a little bit more, um, during this game. Um, so good to see him making a little bit of an improvement. Um, Jared, any other final thoughts about this game and, uh, kind of how we move forward, um, especially going into Mississippi state. No, I mean, you know, overall, um, I still think we, you know, we're we're potentially a good team. We're just not a great team. And we played, uh, you know, we played three top ten teams, and that's kind of what happens sometimes. So, you know, we just need to get better for next year with the uh, offensive line. Uh, we still got Mississippi State coming up. That can be kind of, you can almost use that as a, as a double bowl game. You got that one and then a bowl game. So start working on some things. Um, you know, you want to win the ball game, no doubt, but I think you can still win it and, and still make sure your guys for next year are getting reps and, and live action um, that are going to see a lot of action next year. So that's really my main thing. Just kind of make sure you're, you're still planning for the future. Uh, go try to win the ball game next week, and um, that's about all I would do, man. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those games that Auburn should win. Um, and you got to – you got to get in the mentality of Auburn should win this game, but our offense has to do something. Our offense has to click um, 
and I hope we can click. I hope we, we have Tank Bigsby um, who gets more than nine carries next game. So, um, but we'll talk uh, more in depth later this week about the preview for Mississippi State. So um, stay tuned for that one. Um, but Jerry, before we get out of here, uh, how can the people stay in touch with you? Yep, you can just find me on Facebook or Instagram under my name, Jared Davis. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at A-J-A-Y, J-A-Y underscore. It's always great to be an Auburn Tiger and War Eagle. War Eagle. Before you get out of here, we want to remind you of a couple of things. Head over to E2Cnetwork.com, our website where you can find everything that you'll ever need from us, podcasts, blogs, and even ways to help support the show. If you want to find individual episodes, you can download all of these on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. So until we see you again, I want to remind you of one thing that here at the network, we believe in Auburn and love it. The only question remains, do you?